All right, so we're uh, returning to the passage we looked at last week. This is part two. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of review so that uh, those that are joining us for the first time won't be lost, uh, hopefully. Uh, but our text is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. I invite you to turn in your copy of the Scriptures to 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. This is a sobering, sobering text, but also... Uh, very exciting. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, our text is 18 through 25. And as we start reading, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, back up to chapter 2 and verse 10. 1 Timothy? Did I say Timothy? Yeah, I was like, wait, is it Man, Timothy? I'm sorry. Thanks, honey. Yeah. <laughs> well, what were the rest of you guys going to do? Just sit there and just let it keep... Okay. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. See, I've taught through 1 Timothy before, and so... That must be why I said that. Doesn't really make any sense, though, does it? No other reason. First yeah. Peter. Thank you. First Peter. Yes, this is a first and second Peter class. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. First Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, because they've received mercy, he addresses them as beloved, right? Beloved of God. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And then jump down to verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what a credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for uh, the time to open up your word. Um, and Lord, as uh, we've been reminded this morning, we need to be careful about uh, how we pursue knowledge because we do, we do want to uh, pursue knowledge this morning. We want to know you and know your word. Uh, sometimes our study of the scriptures leaves us puffed up uh, because uh, we don't receive the word in humility as doers of the word, uh, because we uh, misinterpret your word, uh, seeing your requirements as uh, kind of a ladder to climb up to you, to earn favor with you, as opposed to 
uh, receiving it as words of love and grace, um, and uh, then with every intention of obeying in response to the grace that has been shown to us, the love that's been shown to us, uh, what Christ has done for us. And so help us, Lord, to, uh, to have the right attitude right now. Lord, thank you that we are known by you, that you know us and that you love us. And so the words that you have for us this morning, boy, they are, they are heavy. You call us to respond in a particular way to, to mistreatment. And you tell us that we're called to this. Lord, what you say here, you say because you love us. So help us to Help us to receive it that way. And Lord, you, you, you remind us of what a great Savior we have, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us in going to the cross and the unjust suffering that he endured for us. We ask that you'd help us to, to gaze at him, to behold him in his glory to love him, to delight in him. And then to run to him, to follow him, to honor him. Strengthen us, Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is a sober passage, right? Servants, be subject to your masters, he says in verse 18. Uh, He's talking to servants. Remember we said last time, these are house servants. These are house slaves. And uh, so often they were treated unjustly, and that's really what he has in mind. The the treatment of many of these house servants was, we said last time, quite demoralizing and dehumanizing. And Peter's talking to these believers in this situation. And... uh, He's encouraging them. He's talking about these to servants that are being not being treated justly. The word unjust there in verse 18 is scolios, we said. It's, it means twisted or crooked. Instead of these masters, these authorities rewarding good behavior with encouragement and, and other kinds of positive compensation, they, instead they do the opposite. They reward good behavior by doing evil to them. And they give them harsh treatment. And so Peter's writing to Believers in this situation, he's just reminded them of the mercy that they have received from God. Uh, they're a holy people. God has made them that way. He's set them apart from the world, set them apart from sin. Uh, they are beloved. They know that they are loved by God in Christ. And, um, but they're in a difficult place. It's, uh, of course, if they had the, the opportunity to go free, they should do that, right? Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. And so he's talking to those that, that don't have that as an option. And they're at the receiving end of unjust treatment, and uh, they are enduring sorrows. He uses that terminology of enduring sorrows. There's real troubles that are causing real grief. It's not in their heads. This is real. Um, and, uh, and he tells them that they are to be subject. Uh, they are to subject themselves is the idea. Don't be forced into this, but you voluntarily do this. You put yourself underneath 
that authority that God's placed over you. Uh, and mimic Christ. He didn't fight back. He didn't revile back. He didn't threaten. And so you, be, be humble. Be lowly before them. Don't, don't fight back. Don't, don't threaten or get selfishly angry or sinfully angry or, or slander them or be bitter. Um, don't, don't try to execute your own justice against these unjust masters. Instead, obey them and be humble. Endure sorrows. Uh, endure uh, is hupomone. Uh, it's usually translated as endure or um, persevere. It has the idea of pressing forward in the face of obstacles. So it's a little different than patience, right? Patience, we, we sit back and wait for something hard to end or something good to come. We're waiting, and we're not really portrayed as pressing forward. But enduring sorrows includes the idea of pressing forward. So the idea is you press forward in obedience to the Lord, even though grief is against you, even though it weighs you down, right? And of course, this grief is coming from objectively unjust treatment. Um, and so what is Peter's goal in all this? Well, we, read, we backed up and read some of those verses beforehand. Um, he says in verse 9, actually, I didn't back up enough uh, <laughs> to include this, but he says in verse 9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you're saved, right? And he talks about these salvific blessings in a variety of ways. And all of this has a purpose, has an intended result, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. And you do this with your beautiful behavior. And uh, so he's trying to strengthen them to be an instrument in God's hands to bring glory to God. Um, so Peter's pointing to the slave or talking to this house slave, the, the most vulnerable in the Greco-Roman society. But he does this, I think, and it has a broader application. I think Peter intends that. And he circles back around to these same themes as we go throughout the book. I think from beginning to end, he has in mind all of the unjust treatment that, that Christians would receive and the suffering that he, well, he schedules for them. Uh, he plans it for them. And, uh, and so this is, when he talks to the slave, it really ends up being kind of a paradigm for the Christian believer who is following Christ and suffers along the way. Um, so the most obvious way to apply this is to think about uh, employee-employer relationships. But I think it, it applies to any situation in which you have unjust treatment and they're suffering, as we'll see as we go through the text. Um, and uh, it's really good news. You're not doomed uh, when you're mistreated. Um, the good news is that regardless of how another person is treating you, God will give you the strength and the ability to respond in a way that honors God. And so there's hope. He's talking about true freedom, true freedom in Christ. Um, the main exhortation in this paragraph is, is that one in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters. Everything else that Peter says in verses 18 through 25 fills out that idea, uh, elaborates on that. Uh, and he's trying to equip uh, these believers to be able to do that 
And so he's teaching them, he equips them by, by helping them to have a certain mindset, to embrace a mindset, a way of thinking about their suffering, about what God is doing, about the purposes, Christ, right? So it's a, he's helping them to embrace a mindset. And so, uh, so these then, uh, we can think of it, this mindset is broken out into, the, into six convictions. Uh, so there's six convictions about God that will enable you to submit and to suffer, uh, when you're treated unjustly, right? Six convictions about God that will enable you to submit and to suffer. The first one we looked at last time, I must submit to others because I fear God. That's why these house slaves are to submit to the, their masters, because they fear God, right? So verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Uh, literally, more literally in the Greek, with all fear, with all fear. Uh, is he talking about fearing the master, respecting the master, or is he talking about fearing God? Uh, well, it's helpful then to keep the context in mind, uh, specifically verse 17, the verse immediately prior to this one. He says, Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Who are we supposed to fear? God. Uh, we honor everyone. They're going to honor their masters. They're going to respect them in that way, right? But fear is, in Peter's mind, is reserved for God. We fear only God. So don't fear your masters and so give in to what they are calling you to do. Not out of fear of them, but out of fear of God. Uh, and he's talked about fear earlier, right? Chapter 1, verse 17, live in fear during the time of your stay on earth, he said. Live in fear. What kind of a fear? It's... Uh, well, it's fear of sinning against God's love for you. Fear belittling His love for you. Uh, he talks about how we call God our Father. So fear sinning against your Father who loves you so much. And your Father sent His Son with the Son's precious blood. He redeemed you from a futile way of life. He went on to say in that same paragraph, so, whoa, what love God has for you. And so now there's the great danger of sinning against that love by thinking little of it. Uh, and so we're to live in fear of displeasing our Father who loves us so much. Um, uh, so this command also tells us or helps us understand that when the earthly master tells us to sin, we don't do it because we're obeying Him, not because we fear Him, we're obeying Him because we fear God. Well, if we fear God and our Master tells us to do something contrary to God's wishes, obviously we're not fearing God if we go ahead and do that, right? So we're obeying those authorities as long as they are not uh, commanding us to sin in some way. So I must submit to others because I fear God. That's a conviction that uh, is kind of the first element of a, of a mindset that we need to have that equips us to submit and to suffer. I must submit to others because I fear God. Number two, uh, we began looking at last time. Boy, I didn't make it very far last time, did I? All right, God is rewarding me as I remember Him and patiently endure my unjust suffering. God is rewarding me as I remember Him and patiently endure my unjust suffering. Let's read verses 19 and 20 because the point's made in both of these verses. Verse 19, 
For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So it begins with that word for, right, in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. So what he's saying is explaining further something he just said in verse 19. After telling us that we should submit to earthly masters or bosses, even if it's unreasonable, Peter gives explanation for this difficult command. Do it because this is a gracious thing when mindful of God and one endures sorrows. That's why you should do it, understanding, understanding this. It's a gracious thing when mindful of God and one endures sorrows. Um, now, we talked about the differences in translations. If you've got the NAS, uh, New American Standard, then it translates, instead of the word mindful in the ESV, it's, they, use, they translate it as the word conscience, because that word is sometimes translated throughout the Scriptures, the New Testament, either as conscience or, what's the other word? Mindfulness, Mindfulness. yeah. Well, another C word, consciousness or being conscious. And it gets so confusing to try and say both of those words, conscience and, I almost say cautious, but it's not cautious. Why do I want to say that all the time? Conscience and consciousness. Okay, let's stick with mindfulness. <laughs> way easier. Yeah, I don't think uh, conscience is a good way to translate this. Um, and, 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 I, and I say that because when the New American Standard and even when the Legacy Standard, some of you have that, uh, when they translate it as conscience, they have to supply additional words, like the word toward. You're keeping a good conscience toward God. But the word toward is not in there. There's a Greek word for toward, <laughs> and it's not there. So uh, I think it's, it should be translated as uh, mindful or conscious or aware. Uh, so when you, you're talking about being mindful of God, aware of God, conscious of God, Peter's saying, submitting to unreasonable people is a gracious thing if, if because of, a, of your awareness of God, you bear up under sorrows for suffering unjustly. It's your awareness of God, is what he's saying. Your awareness of God, your mindfulness of Him. You remember Him and you appreciate Him. It's your awareness of God that will enable you to bear up under those sorrows. And that's the kind of perseverance, that's the kind of endurance that... Peter says in the ESV is, uh, is a gracious thing. We'll talk about that in a second. Difference of translations there too. It gets a little complicated with these differing translations. You guys should all use one translation, mine. <laughs> well, when's it coming out? <laughs> yeah. Nope. <laughs> now, I wanted to pause here and say... Um, I mean, we, we have the kind of spotlight on this, maybe a scenario that seems maybe a little far away from us, slaves, treated unjustly, like we're not slaves. But yeah, we're applying it to bosses and stuff like that. But we want to broaden the application, as I said, to include unjust suffering. Um, and some of you have experienced tremendous unjust suffering. Maybe you're not even experiencing it right now at the hands of somebody, parents, other leaders, other authorities in your life, but you have experienced that in the past. And I would suggest that right now you take up this passage and apply it. Your unjust suffering likely continues today by means of memories of what happened in your past. 
uh, they are, maybe we could call them those memories, ongoing reverberations of unjust suffering that you received. And so every remembrance is another occasion for sorrow, right? That is so heavy. Um, and so what we know then is when you have that memory of it, God is calling you to endure the sorrows of unjust suffering. It might be today. It might be even stirred up as we go through this text. And God is calling you to endure those sorrows again. And you can be mindful of Him. And that will strengthen you to endure those sorrows, to press on, to, to bear up underneath those things and not be crushed by those memories. So we're mindful of God. What are we mindful of? We remember that He's omniscient, right? All-knowing. Lord, so this is how you turn it into prayer, right? Lord, you know. You know what I have experienced. You know what I'm experiencing now. My ways, my sorrows are not hidden from you. And Lord, you're sovereign in this situation. Lord, you have ordained these things. You could prevent these people from treating me this way, but you have not. And I acknowledge that you are in control. Lord, you are present in this situation. If you're suffering right now, or if, even if you're remembering, Lord, even now as I remember this, know you are present with me. Lord, you are working out your will for my life, right? There's his, his power worked out, carrying out his plan, right? His sovereign plan, his providence. You are working out your plan and purpose. You have a destination for me. And I already know what that destination is. I read about it in 1 Peter. Inheritance, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading in beauty. It's reserved in heaven. And it's my sanctification. You're making me look like Christ. So I know that this is used by, it's part of your plan to get me uh, to that place, to reach that goal. It's not random, nothing's lost, nothing's wasted, nothing's useless. And Lord, you're wise. Your plan is perfect. Seems like you could figure out a different way to get me to that goal. It seems to me, but I don't know. I'm not infinite in wisdom, but God, you are infinite in wisdom. Right? So you're mindful of his wisdom. You worship him for his wisdom. You're skillful, Lord, in the ways in which you get me to that final goal. That's wisdom, right? Skillfulness in living. He's wise. He chooses the right goal and the best means to get us to that goal. Lord, you are wise. Lord, you love me. You're not dispassionate in how you get me to that end. You choose those difficult things. And even, though, and even though you have a purpose, you know that it's hard for me. And you see the pain that I experience. And you have compassion. I love the passage in Lamentations 3, his tender mercies. Uh, like, that bru- like a bruise, when our arm is bruised and someone just bumps us. And we're just so tender. We're so easily affected by the smallest, slightest touch. Uh, Jeremiah there in Lamentations says, that's the way the Lord is. That's the way Yahweh is for us and our suffering. He's tender. And so when we are, experience pain, He does too. He's faithful. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. You never quit. You never take a break from loving me and working out your plan. 
And Lord, you're the judge. You're the judge. I'm being mistreated, but it's not my place to execute justice. I hand that over to you. I entrust that to you. And Lord, you're the goal. Pleasing you and honoring you is what I was made for. It's what I was saved for. So we're mindful of him and remembering who he is and appreciating who he is. That is what gives us strength and power to endure sorrows. Okay, so he says, when we are mindful of God, he says, this is a gracious thing. Some translations say, this is commendable. Thank you. Oh, it's kind of a harsh napkin, but thank you. (laughs) Yes, I'm suffering. Yes, let's go through that list again. Uh, He says, uh, so some translations say this is commendable. This is a gracious thing. This is thankworthy. One translation says, for this finds favor, for God is pleased. Man, abundance of differences. It's a bummer. Paul literally, or Peter literally says, this is grace. Literally. But we go, this is grace. What does that mean? So we come up with ways to say it. That seemed to make more sense of it. But I would just leave it plain. This is grace. Actually, it doesn't have the word is, but sometimes that's the way you'd, you'd communicate it in the Greek language. You can leave out the verb, and it makes it more uh, terse, more uh, punchy. This grace, right? Um, so this, this is grace when, when a person patiently endures the sorrows of unjust suffering because he remembers and appreciates his God. And so he endures. Uh, The end of verse 20 repeats it, repeats the idea. If when you do what is right and suffer for it and patiently endure, this is grace in God's sight. Again, worded the same way. This is grace. And then it has the words before God. This is grace before God or in his presence or in his sight is the idea. When you do right and then suffer and then patiently endure that sorrow, because you remember that God is sovereign, that He is watching over you, that He's present with you, that He's wise, compassionate, giving you strength, God sees it, and this is, this is how He characterizes it. That's grace. Grace is, it's charis, right? Undeserved favor. This is undeserved favor from God. Uh, but notice what Peter does. He, he puts another word parallel to the word grace. Even though he refers to grace at the beginning of verse 19 and at the end of verse 20, um, he doesn't say, for what grace is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? He says, what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? Or what glory is there? What credit? That makes it sound like something that we earn. Right? But something that we get in response to what we've done. And that's why people translate it differently than grace, because they see it as parallel to grace. That word is set up as parallel to grace. So if you do this, then this is what you get. Um, actually, it doesn't say get, but this is what it is. 
what credit is there? Um, so grace is parallel with glory, or grace is parallel with credit, depending on our translation. Um, what, what glory does Peter have in mind? I mean, he's talked to us about glory, what we get in response to the way that we live, back in chapter 1, verse 6. In this, you rejoice. You guys want to look at it? Go back to verse 6. It's not too hard for you guys to go back there. I might as well have you do that. Chapter 1, verse 6. In this, you rejoice. In this salvation, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in, here's the result, here's what you get, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when you... When your faith is refined and you persevere in honoring the Lord in suffering, that, that leads to something. There's a result that comes from that. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, you're going to receive praise and glory and honor. You say, that doesn't sound right, praise and glory and honor. Um, what do I, I'm not, I can't earn anything like that. Well, no, you're not earning it. No, but, but what will happen is you'll receive praise but that praise will reflect back on God who gave you grace to endure, right? So he recognizes, yes, you've done well, good and faithful servant. Say, no, no, don't call me good and faithful. No, he does call you good and faithful. But how did you become good and faithful? Jesus purchased that goodness and faithfulness. So accept it. Accept that commendation from your Lord, from your master, accept it, and then say, it's because of Jesus, right? And, and everyone in heaven is going to go, yes, exactly, that's the point, right? So there's praise, glory, and honor that, that redounds to the praise, glory, and honor of our Savior. Does that make sense? Okay, so, uh, so think on that for a minute. When Christ is revealed, <laughs> you'll receive praise, glory, and honor. It just seems crazy. But that, that is grace. That is undeserved favor from God, that we would ever have that kind of a welcome into heaven. Well, then uh, look at chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I think when he says that grace, he includes even the praise, glory, and honor, right? Praise, glory, and honor, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 7. And then grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ in verse 13. So I think it's included in the grace. But what's crazy about verse 13 is it's not as any of your translations have. He says, uh, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. But literally, it's a present tense participle. That is being brought to you. It's not future tense. Every translation that I've seen translates it as a future tense, and I understand why they're doing that, because Peter has in mind the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ is revealed to us and we see his glory, right? So he is thinking future, but he's thinking about the future coming to us right now. That future glory, we're getting a taste of that now, which Peter, we know, is already thinking about, uh, he's thinking about it that way because look at chapter 1 and verse 9. He says, you are right now obtaining 
the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You're obtaining the outcome. That word outcome, uh, it's telos. We know our telos because our college group. That's, that's the end or that's the goal. You're getting the end right now. You're obtaining, again, present tense participle. Um, I don't usually refer to all the grammar like that. Hopefully you're not too turned off. Oh, I don't like English class. Let's get out of here. Um, but uh, you're right now obtaining the outcome of, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So that's the way that Peter thinks of the blessings of the Christian life. They're, they're connected to the future. And every time we experience God's blessings, it's like, uh, let, me, uh, let, me make, let me put down another payment. What's that? Not, uh, not a deposit. Yeah, but there's a down payment, but then you keep... Installments. Installments. What? Okay. I said installments pretty loudly, didn't I? It's it's an exciting word. Installments. Yeah, we're getting installments every time we receive that, those blessings. So what are those installments? I, I think that's the point Peter's making in our text, going back there. Oh, 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 no, before we do that, look at verses 8 and 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, because uh, he names some of those installments. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Right? You're going to see him with the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're going to see him. But even though you haven't yet seen him, right now you love him. There's a taste of that right now, a taste of him. And then he goes on, though you do not see him, now see him. See, there's the now. You believe in him. And rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. I mean, that's the future glory he's talking about, but you're tasting it right now. That's the whole point. Okay, so what, what are the tastes of that future glory? It's love. It's reliance on him. Leaning on him and finding him to be everything that he says that he is and everything that he truly is. Right? And that brings joy. Because we're, we're experiencing his glory and loving his glory. And this happens, oh, this happens when we're treated in an unfair way, when we're mistreated. We'll, we'll lean in. We lean in to be aware of him, right, to be mindful of him, and we see all that he is for us. And we're like, wow, he satisfies me. And we actually enjoy him. We have joy inexpressible and filled with glory, even in the suffering. And when, we, when that happens, we have strength to endure suffering because we're, we're satisfied in Him and we're tasting future glory. It's a small taste, though. It's a small taste, right? I mean, one time, I, I, eventually our satisfaction in Him is just going to explode. So Peter is saying, remember the point of the book, chapter 1, verse, is it verse 2? Uh, May grace be multiplied to you. And then chapter 5, verse 12, um, what's it say about, uh, this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. So that's what he's doing about the book, right? He's helping us identify the grace of God, the undeserved favor that we uh, identify it right now and see its connection to future glory. That's what he's doing throughout the whole book. We are continually recognizing God's undeserved favor that we have. And 
Peter saying, servants, don't fight back. Don't retaliate. Don't slander. Don't be bitter. No, you remember God and find him to be satisfying and soul strengthening. And when you do that, you'll have strength and you'll be tasting that future glory. And when you do that, you are proclaiming his excellence. You're proclaiming his excellence. And they look out, these masters, at all their slaves, and they see the ones that fight back, slander. Then they say, you, Christian, and you're not like that. Why do you have so much hope? Right? Peter says, chapter 3, verse 15, they'll ask you, where's this hope come from? And you tell them. (laughs) You tell them about your Savior. So in all of this, you're experiencing God's undeserved favor, and you're displaying His undeserved favor. Your life testifies to the greatness and the glory of God. Okay. Definitely not making it very far. I think we're going to have a part three. Okay, so uh, this is almost where we left off last time. Okay. (laughs) Number three. Um, Do you guys have any questions about that? All right. Oh, yeah. One or two questions. Yeah. Um, Is that similar to where... Because we, PBS, we've just been talking about the armor of God. So when it says putting on the helmet of salvation, is that the same, same idea where we are now in the battle, in the war, because we are certain and are sure of our eternal salvation is the grace of the Lord to us now to be able to be victorious and endure? Yeah. Is that similar? I think it's the same. I think it's the same. I mean, he's, he's itemizing grace. Uh, and telling them how to stand firm in that evil day. Stand firm in grace and all the, as- all the different uh, facets of God's saving grace. So uh, the helmet of salvation is, yeah, one of those. And that's how we're made strong to battle, uh, is knowing who we are in Christ and what He has given us. Um, so, yeah. All right, number three. God has called me to suffer unjustly. That's the third conviction about God that will enable you to submit and suffer. God has called me to suffer unjustly. He has called us to suffer unjustly. Verse 21, for to this you have been called, right? I think NAS says to this, or you've been called to to this purpose or for this purpose, something like that. For to this you have been called. Uh, again, let's make sure we're following the train of thought because it begins with that word for. So he's just said it's undeserved favor from God when you, because of your awareness of God, patiently endure unjust suffering because you've been called by God. You've been called by God for this purpose. What have you been called for? Uh, what's this purpose or To this you've been called, what's the this refer to? Suffering unjustly. You've been called to suffer unjustly. 
He has called you to suffer even though you do what is right. It's amazing. This is God's calling on your life. This is your vocation. We talk about calling. What's your calling? I'll tell you my calling. Well, this is the, uh, the calling for all of us. We've been called to suffer unjustly. So he will arrange people who mistreat you. You've been called to this because you've been redeemed for a purpose, to proclaim his excellencies. This is instrumental for proclaiming his excellencies. It's also instrumental in you receiving the undeserved favor, the, the enjoyment of his undeserved favor. When you really see the richness of his undeserved favor, it's when everything else is taken away from you. And then you find him to be, whoa, totally satisfying. He's everything I need. Um, this, is, this is amazing. Uh, I mean, suffering, unjust suffering, a call to this. I mean, maybe, maybe this is, isn't this maybe just a coincidence, unjust suffering? Maybe, maybe this is better thought of as a demonic intrusion into my normal Christian life. You know, Peter, what's wrong? Haven't you read the health and wealth prosperity gospel books? Been called to this? Don't you know, Peter, that when you get right with God, then everything else gets right with you? It starts going your way. Don't you know that, Peter? What he says here is a staggering, isn't it? He says, we're called to suffer unjustly. I like what Tom Schreiner says here. He says, suffering is not a detour by which believers receive the inheritance to which they were called. It is God's appointed means for receiving the inheritance. There's a path to glory, and that path for every Christian is a path of suffering. And that is something about those false teachers, right? The health and wealth prosperity gospels. They get everyone's attention. Avoid the path of suffering. Get on this path. It's a great path. But the path to glory is a path of suffering. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. We're children, he says, children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. You hear that? That's this amazing statement. Provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. We suffer in order that we may be glorified with him. If you want to be glorified with him, there's only one way to get there. Suffering with him. Why? Well, as, as Paul sees it, suffering with our elder brother is one aspect of family resemblance, right? Because he gets later, that's Romans 8, 17. We keep marching our way through Romans 8. It's one of our favorite texts, right? Get to Romans 8, 28. God is causing all things to work together for good to them that love God are called towards his purpose. What's the good? What's the purpose? Right? That he goes on to say that we might be conformed to the image of his, of his son, the image of Christ. We're, we're brought into conformity with him. And uh, that he might be the firstborn, the high-ranking one, among all of his brothers that bear resemblance to him. Right? What, how awesome that's going to be. 
when we see Christ and we're like little Christs around him. We're surrounding him. He's the high-ranking one. And we're rejoicing. We, 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 we rejoice in the, in the, to the degree that we resemble him. We rejoice. Everything becomes clear on that day. This is, this is the important thing. This is the great thing. It's looking like him. Perhaps we look back and go, whoa, what were we doing? What was I thinking? Trying to be like that person? Trying to just have these certain things in my life? This, this was the great thing, right? But for all of us as believers, we're sure to look like him to a degree, right? And there will be great pleasure when, when you look into his eyes and he looks at you and he sees that you resemble him. Because you, and the resemblance always comes because we adore him, right? When, and we admire him. We always become like the one we admire. Always. He looks at you and sees that you resemble him and that you admire him. And he takes pleasure in that. And you take pleasure in him because you resemble him. It's incredible. So, but how do we get there? According to Paul, according to Peter, the path to glory is the path of suffering. So you're called. And so it's in likeness to Christ that we work towards the end, right? That glory. And He is refining us and purifying us, and He conforms us to, to Christ. I think of Paul right, in Philippians 3, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed. How's it go? Being conformed, being... Ah, uh, how's it go? Wait, say it again. I wasn't. Yes. So we're conformed to his death, right? It's got to be suffering. I mean, we are tracing our Savior's steps. I mean, I don't know what path you're looking for, but this is the one. This is it. And we're not earning it, right? We're admiring our Savior and following in His steps. He says, if anyone will come after me, he's got to take up his cross and follow me. And he really means it. Um, and it's not just enduring suffering, it's enduring it with him. That's the thing, right? In fellowship with him. In fellowship with him. Sharing with him. Remembering him. Loving him. Um, so suffering was his pathway to glory, so our pathway to glory is one of suffering. And... So, I told Hannah I was going to talk about birth pangs today. Uh, perhaps you could think of your suffering as birth pangs. And I think it's appropriate because in Romans 8, when he's talking about suffering, he does talk about the birth pangs, right? Creation groans. The Holy Spirit groans. There's all kinds of groaning going on because the birth pangs, it's painful. Uh, what is the relationship between birth pangs and the baby? It's not just chronological. One is instrumental in bringing about the other, right? If you were to say, there's no point to the suffering I'm going through, it would be like a woman saying, there's no point to the birth pangs I'm experiencing. What's the point? She might say, there's no baby, just birth pangs. Well, not yet. It's a process, but one is instrumental in bringing about the other. 
Uh, and so that's what we say about our suffering. We sometimes feel like, what's the point? But there is a point because God is always working out his plan for us, conforming us to Christ. He's always right on track. It's part of the process, and it's exciting. All your sufferings are instrumental in making you like Christ and allowing you to share his glory, to reflect his glory, to proclaim his glory as excellencies to the world. All of your suffering, I remember Sinclair Ferguson saying, all of your suffering is mysteriously causal. It's mysteriously causal. Because we go, whoa, how can this be? How can this be causing that? But that's the way Paul words it, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Um, So, do you guys have questions about that? I was hoping you'd say something because I kind of lost my place in my notes. <laughs> I think it's amazing that this is the St. Peter that is so ready to cut off somebody's ear. Yeah. When he, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's exactly what you're saying. He went through, and this is where he's at. Yeah. Same guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's learned some things along the way. Yeah. Yeah, when we think about Christ's glory, we think about how his, how his suffering was instrumental in showcasing his glory. Um, we, when we see his glory, his impressiveness, when we see it, we'll enjoy his impressiveness. Right? That word glory is... Well, that's impressiveness. Um, so what, what is that glory, that impressiveness that we will enjoy on that, and, and that final day? It won't be the glory that he has because he stayed in heaven and never came down to earth. No, it, it will be the glory, the impressiveness that was created out of his suffering. We will worship a lamb who was slain. His suffering was instrumental in His glory. In the same way, we suffer with Christ in order that we will be glorified with Him. So your suffering is instrumental in bringing about your future glory. Um, While Christ's suffering reveals His inherent strength, our suffering reveals His strength in us. We'll receive glory and honor, but it will really redound to the glory and honor of Christ. And that's what we'll be singing about. He wills your suffering because he knows the best way to display the glory of his grace. Sometimes it's by allowing us to escape suffering. That can be miraculous. We pray, Lord, help me to escape this suffering. Help us to escape this suffering. He displays his glory that way. Sometimes, right, by a miracle. Um, and at other times, by allowing us to persevere and patiently endure suffering as we remember Him. So it's normal to suffer unjustly. So we shouldn't be surprised or complain about our suffering. Being surprised or complaining about our suffering is like a teacher complaining 
because he has to explain things to students. Doesn't make any sense. It's like an auto mechanic complaining because he has to get his hands greasy all the time. Do you get your hands greasy? Uh, you do, huh? Oh, who said I do? What do you do? You're working? I was looking at Jeremy. Oh, really? You even know that. All right, a couple of grease monkeys. <laughs> yeah. God has called me to suffer unjustly. Well, I can at least say the point for the next one. Number four, fourth conviction about God that will enable you to submit and suffer. I must mimic Christ in suffering. I must mimic Christ, the God-man, in suffering. He says in verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So unjust suffering is your vocation, it's your calling. Peter goes on to say, and it would have to be this way since Christ also suffered for you. You know, because Christ also suffered for you, or since Christ also suffered for you. It has to be this way. You're called, you're called to unjust suffering, and it has to be this way because Christ suffered for you. So he has us looking at our Savior. This is his will for us uh, when we are suffering. I mean, I think of unjust unjust suffering, even small stuff like uh, you're talking and someone interrupts you. It's not kind. <laughs> you say, hey, you can't treat me like that. Right? No. You've got to remember Christ, even in a moment like that. You remember Him. And you spend time thinking about. So if you're having a hard time uh, following Christ's footsteps and His pattern of of responding to unjust suffering, then you go back and you read the gospel accounts of his suffering and his trials. And you look at that and you adore him and you, you, you worship him and you talk to him about that. You, you spend time thanking him. Thank you that when he said that, you didn't say anything. Thank you that you did that. You see how he cared, like for his mother on the cross, right? In the face of suffering. Thank you that you responded that way. And you just adore every, every little thing that you see that scripture has recorded for you. And you spend time. And so that helps you to embrace this mindset, right? And you'll become like the one you admire. If you spend time admiring him, you will imitate him. You'll actually be looking for opportunities to do this. Go ahead, insult me. No, you probably won't say that. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking about it, and uh, we have an opportunity with our uh, Homeowners Association president. I'm like thinking through these notes this morning. I'm like, oh, man, this is an opportunity. I'm supposed to be excited about this. This is God's grace. This is undeserved favor. Do I believe this? 
man, just rather, okay, let's get back to you guys and your suffering. Make application there. <laughs> no, it's the truth. I started to think about it. That uh, takes too long to explain uh, the details, but I'm going to have to park my cars differently. And it's a pain. But, but I get to intentionally mimic my Savior. And I'm called to this. I shouldn't be surprised that this happens. I'm called to this. I have to be mindful of the Lord and how He He's sovereign in this. He's wise in this. And I and I show and I show his worth when I when I'm willing to let go of ease and comfort and safety. I'm willing to let go. There's no safety involved here, but when I'm willing to let go of ease and comfort quickly. I, I don't need that. I don't need to be treated well. I don't need earthly comforts and ease. I don't need that. Because I have Christ. He is precious. I have Him. I can let go of anything else. It's like just piddly because I have Christ. And this is an opportunity to proclaim it. So, yes. So, bring on the suffering that I may proclaim His excellencies because He's going to be blessing me. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't have to, I don't have to do anything out of self-interest because he will accomplish what is in my best interest. All right, any other comments or applications? You guys got any unjust suffering? No? All right, well. What? No. All right. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace in which we stand and deserve favor from you that we enjoy because of Christ and his suffering for us. We thank you that we are your beloved children, that you love us and you care for us. And we thank you that you ordain our steps and you ordain every aspect of our lives. Nothing is accidental. And nothing is useless. You cause all things to work together for our good, to conform us to the image of Christ. So, Lord, I pray that through your word, by your spirit, you would strengthen your people here this morning to suffer with Christ, to suffer for your glory. May we be truly humble people. We pray all this through Christ. Amen.